Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we're back. So I saw this tweet on X. See, I keep saying Twitter. It's X. So... And I know I said this, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I'm struggling on the intro. Send me an X at Mike Silva Media. You can get me on X at Mike Silva Media. Check me out on Instagram. It's like I have to stop. Is it still a tweet? It's not a tweet, right? It's not a tweet. It's really I just don't like the I know I don't get the branding of X. I know he wants to make it his own thing over there, Elon Musk. I don't get X. I liked it when it was a tweet, Twitter. That's what I started using in 2008. But anyway, way off way off topic. We could go off on a whole tangent on that. So uh, post on X out there. Let's put that out there. Uh, goes like this. Billy Epler showed up out of the blue, won 101 games his first year, rebuilt the farm system his second year, and then dipped. What a legend. I have to tell you, when it's all said and done, when David Stern, if David Stearns goes out there and builds, I don't have to think it has to be in 2024, but Mets really have a nice run, maybe win a title between 2024 and let's say 2028, 29, a four or five year period. And, you know, you look at that success, you look at David Stearns coming in, you know, he's left with a better farm system. And I think ultimately that's where Epler's legacy is going to be. I think Gilbert, and Acuna, and Clifford, and you know any of the players they got for Robertson, Vargas, or Hernandez, or any of these guys, you know that they brought in with all those deadline deals. You know, even the the Dominican kid, the, the summer league kid they got uh, for Tommy Pham was it Jeremy Rodriguez? All these guys they got that popped up that farm system. Some of the development you saw from the pitchers like Scott and Hamill, those. The, the development that's happened over the last year. I think that's really where Epler's legacy will fall because, you know, he gave you a great 2022. You could sit there and argue and say he should have done more at the deadline, but give the guy credit. I've said this a million times. He came in here. He took the job. Nobody else wanted it. He was tasked with winning, went out there, you know, obviously Cohen helped him. They they recruited Scherzer. I mean, here just a couple of weeks after he takes the job, he's recruiting one of the top pitchers, uh, free agent pitchers. The following year, he goes out and recruits Verlander. You know, he, that first day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, where he got Canna and Escobar and Marte. You know, he closed those deals quick. You know, all those guys played big roles in the twenty two team. So you really have to say, you know, he was handed kind of on the fly in the middle of the off season a team and there were negotiations going on before he had taken on you know they were talking to Javier Baez I know Sandy Alderson was involved talking you know Stephen Matz that deal fell apart so you know the way that went down and then the way he pivoted at the deadline and really you could could even compare it you know Billy Epler fell on his sword 
I mean, maybe he knew all along. Because the way this whole Phantom IL scandal, quote-unquote, went down, I, I just got to tell you, I, I just don't buy it. I almost feel like the guy... I'm telling you, if I and I and I know nothing, and this could be wildly off. Billy Epler sat at that press conference. He looked up at Stearns. He saw the adulation. He saw, you know, around him everything that once was his. You know, him being put into the co-pilot seat, and you know, maybe he just said, you know, do I really want this? Do I really want to be? You know, this was my thing. I built it up. It didn't go exactly as I wanted to. The outcome. And now I'm reporting to Stearns, which is not like it's a bad thing, but he might say, you know, do I really want this? And let's also face it, you know, the GM, in a lot of ways, would be more of a consistent front-facing to the media and to the fans and a mouthpiece where the president of baseball operations would come down once in a while, but not as consistently. And quite honestly, that's one of the things I think Billy Epler wasn't really good at. Because he was not charismatic. He was very inside baseball. He was very bland. He would talk in these probabilistic terminologies. And maybe that's part of it. He said, you know, this is just, this market's not for me. This is not what I want. You know, who knows what else was going on. Now, on the surface, it's the scandal. He doesn't want to be a distraction. But that almost became too easy of an exit strategy. Too convenient. It was almost like he was waiting for it. And maybe he was going to stay on for a year, and I don't know how long his contract was. I don't know if it was three or four years. And maybe he would have bounced after Stearns got his feet wet. This just made it easier. But what I always say about organizations, when things are good and they have success, there's always individuals that were part of the transition when teams were bad to good that make contributions but aren't there when things get really well. If you go back to the 1980s before um, Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter came on board, there was, you know, Neil Allen, who was a big part of that Keith Hernandez trade, was a really good closer for the Mets when they were a bad team. And Hubie Brooks, who wound up having a pretty good career, more in Montreal than anywhere else, he became an outfielder later on in his career, good run producer, Guy who drove in 100 RBIs uh, in Montreal as a shortstop. Hubie Brooks was a big part of the Mets' renaissance. One of their really good young players was traded for Gary Carter. So he was a transitional figure at that point. 2015 Mets had a guy named Noah Syndergaard on the roster. Travis Darno on the roster. Two big components of that team. R.A. Dickey was the reason why they were acquired because Ari Dickey won the Cy Young in 20, 20 games and the Blue Jays thought he was a missing piece to their rotation because they wanted to contend. And look, every, I wish Ari Dickey was a fun man, had a chance to meet him and talk to him at City Field and interview him many moons ago. And, you know, he, he would riff about pitching, the knuckleball, and even Star Wars. Great on Twitter, fan favorite. And, um... You know, you if you really thought about it, who you would have loved having Dickey in that rotation when they went to the World Series. I mean, in some ways you thought Bartolo Colon was going to be that guy, that transition guy, but he was part of the winning team. So when you look at Billy Epler from a front office standpoint, he's almost when he possibly could go down as the same transitionary figure that brought 
the next wave of success to the Mets, similar to how Neil Allen and Hubie Brooks and R.A. Dickey and guys like that were transitional figures that had good seasons, were good Mets. You thought at one point they'd be part of the solution when things got really good, but they were used as the solution to get better people to bring the team to the promised land. So Billy Epler probably will fall into that. Because I think, you know, I'm really excited about Gilbert. You know, that's the one prospect that I think excites me. Because, I mean, not just because he hit well at Binghamton. He just seems like that gritty gamer type, the way he's been described out there. And Acuna with his speed, you know, that dimension. And who knows, you know, Clifford, you know, that's a guy that, you know, I think could go wildly one way or the other. Uh, You know, certainly has power, but looks every bit Joey Gallo sometimes out there. You know, I'm I'm not a home run or nothing guy. So... Um, you know, to me, that's how I remember Billy Epler, a guy that took the job when nobody else wanted it, on the fly, built a 100-win team really hard, was tasked with the impossible, impossible uh, objective of winning now and not touching the farm system because they did not have the depth up and down. So it was not an option to trade an Alvarez or a Beatty or Vientos at the deadline in 2022. You needed to hold on to your top chips. So they had to, you know, go to the next level. And who knows, that they give up some good pieces for Tyler Naquin or a Vogelback or some of the component players that they decided to use. I would call these analytic moves, analytic-type moves. And, uh, you know, the answer is they were analytic moves, and maybe you're going to regret a Colin Holderman or some of the kids they gave up for Naquin. But that's what they... From a capital, when I say afford, from a prospect capital, that's what they could have afforded at that point. That's what they could afford to give up. So, you know, you look now at the Mets front office without a Billy Epler. And look, I think Billy wasn't as scout friendly as we look back as he positioned himself. You know, we thought he had that heartbeat figured out after all these years. He was criticized by Joe Torre in Joe Torre's book, The Torre Years. And... You know, I, I, I think, you know, he, he talked about being from that Gene Michael tree when he first came on and during his press conference. But I don't know if he really acted that way. And especially last year as he carved Buck out of the whole thing and went full in analytics. And even Heyman talked about, you know, with the Mets managerial search, how it's very unlikely that Stearns with his analytic base front office, a front office that wants a partner and a collaborator, which means, hey, we want to have a say in the lineup card, would go out and get a Dusty Baker. Because to me, Dusty Baker's a Hall of Fame manager. Here's a guy that's got the Astros, you know, I'm coming to you while they're still playing tonight, got the Astros a game away from the World Series. And very well could be winning another championship, you know, at every team he's touched. From San Francisco to Chicago, I know things ended disappointing there. Cincinnati, Washington, now with the Astros, and I think the Astros are some of his best work because that was a a mess in the sense that there was talent there, but but the toxicity of the sign scandal, of the sign stealing scandal, and how he came in and navigated that team through the pandemic and and after, and losing some key players that they couldn't afford to free agency might be his best managerial work. He'd be perfect for the Mets. I got to tell you. But he would be a short-term solution. He probably would butt heads with Stearns. And he doesn't fit into the front office mold. But this front office, I got to tell you, you know, and I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Our friends, uh, I'll just say Smith. That's what he called himself, Smith, that sent us a note to the uh, the Mike Silvat, talkingmetspodcast.com 
uh, email address, you know, very nicely sent me snapshots of everybody in the front office. You got a lot of non, uh, you know, how should I say, not non-baseball people, but those who haven't played the game. You know, Andy Martino said this in a in a column about a week or a half, two weeks ago, how the Yankees have guys like Omar Minaya and Brian Sabin and Tim Naring, a former player. You know, guys that have a wealth of baseball knowledge, guys that have scouting backgrounds in Minaya, guys who play the game like Nearing. And I, I really think that's important. And I think one of the things Brody Van Wagenen did really well when he was general manager is he had a guy like Minaya in his cabinet. He had... Uh, more interaction with former players like an Al Light or like a David Wright. And from what I understand, Billy Epler won nothing to do with that. Now, I don't know what Stearns is going to do. And again, we don't see a lot of leaks coming out of this, you know, front office. But, you know, when it's really said and done, there needs to be more baseball people in that front office. Now, I know this is going to be another one of these odd years because I think Stearns is going to be tasked with rebuilding the organization, finding a GM, which it seems like that might not happen this offseason. And I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think that's the end of the world because Stern's pretty much is the GM. He really now gets to put an imprint on this organization. He doesn't, you know, with Epler gone, he doesn't have any loyalty to anybody that's an Epler guy. Now, I wouldn't start blowing out everything because, again, you know, especially the player development side, they got rid of a lot of guys on the player development side. Um... So, you know, he has a chance to really craft it his own way, but it would be nice to start to see some baseball people, similar to what the Yankees did. Now, you you know, people could say the Yankees are fully you-know-what. They're just as analytical, if not more so than the Mets, and they're bringing in guys like Manai and Saban as window dressing to satisfy the call for that. I don't believe that. I think, you know, a guy like Brian Cashman, uh, he, he predates the analytic craze. You know, the Yankees went all in on you know, progressive analytics over the last probably seven or eight years, maybe decade, but they started to change their ways around 08, 09, when they realized that the sustainability of having the highest payroll in baseball and winning the free agent battle and and and, and keeping some kind of sanity to the budget, especially as George Steinbrenner got uh, ill and then passed away and, and Hal came on and, you know, for a variety of reasons, has a, has a different financial uh, thought process than George. And some of that I think has to do with the debt on the stadium, but you know, I I don't want to get too deep into that right now. Um, you know, I think the Mets could use that. You know, you got you know a lot of analytic guys like Ben Zosmer in the Mets front office, but you don't have an Omar Manai anymore. You don't have that former you know, yeah, you have Beltron. I mean, I don't know how much cachet Beltron has with Stearns. You have Beltron in that front office, which I think is important. And hopefully, you know, if he doesn't get a job on the coaching staff, uh, I don't know what Beltron, outside of being a manager, would accept. Hopefully they incorporate incorporate him a little bit. And I said this last week, I think Beltron could offer a lot in either a front office, a big time, not just an advisory role, a real hands-on front office role, because he has been so many versions of a, as a player that you'll see down on the field the uh, as I said, the, the the kid from Puerto Rico that didn't speak the language had to battle his way to top prospect status, and then he was the top prospect being called up by Kansas City, and then he was the the star of stars as he took over the postseason. He was traded midseason as the big acquisition, and then he's a big free agent signing, and he's the the core star of a of an elite Mets team, and then he's on the decline, and he has to battle back from a serious knee injury, and then he's on the other side where now he's more of a mentor and he really doesn't have as much 
value on the field, but you know he's that sage veteran trying to help provide leadership at the clubhouse. So I think that that's something that you know Beltran can provide. Are there others? You know, and I I do think that you know that's something to be out there and look for. So uh, Billy Epler's legacy, he's going to be in the same transitionary footnote that we've seen when teams have collateral damage on their way to success. Now, Mets have to have success for this to go down in history, but I do think that Billy Epler, because I feel that the Mets are going to get this thing right, I think we're going to be looking back in a couple of years and say, you know what, Billy Epler left us this, Billy Epler left us, left us that. Not much different than maybe, maybe not to the same degree, but not much different to how we looked at Omar Manaya a little differently when the Mets made it to the postseason. Because Steven Matz was there when Manaya was there. Manaya brought in R.A. Dickey off the scrap heap. Manaya drafted the Jacob deGrom. So, you know, Matt Harvey, you know, the, the core of that rotation, even if you conclude Syndergaard, because he was acquired in the Dickey trade, was because of Manaya's moves that happened before. So Omar Manaya's prints were all over that team. And you look back and say, well, Omar wasn't a great exi- you know, GM. He was a good scout. He was a good talent evaluator. He didn't know how to really manage people, and things got wacky there at the end under him. That's why he got fired. And he had a really difficult owner to deal with. So when you look at that, you know, you kind of say, hey, will Billy Epler be looked at the same way? I think maybe. So it'll be interesting. You know, curious your thoughts. So anyway, let's take a quick break. We're going to wrap up. Final thoughts. We're going to talk a little bit about Zach Wheeler. I know his name has come up after a great performance yesterday. I'm going to say a couple of last words about Zach Wheeler. Is the RSM bubble bursting? What is that going to mean for sports? And are majority of people not sports fans and also losing interest in sports? And how does that play going forward? Just some random smorgasbord thoughts. And I will leave on one big note, big announcement in addition to the show. I think you guys are going to like it. So, Sit back. We'll be back with the final thoughts right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. So final thoughts, a smorgasbord of ideas. Let's start with Zach Wheeler, another great postseason performance by Zach Wheeler. I see a lot of people on X, you know, quoting Brody Van Wagenen, you know, basically saying that, you know, he took two good halves of baseball and parlayed it into a deal, a five-year deal, about $120 million. A deal that even at that time, I think was, even with Wilpon ownership, uh, a bar that easily could have been matched. I mean, Wheeler really gave the Mets every opportunity to match. He wanted to stay 
on the East Coast. I think, you know, one of the reasons he went to Philly is that is instead of the White Sox, who were very competitive with an offer, as I think his, his wife, then fiancé at the time, wanted to stay in the New York, you know, Philadelphia area. Now he's made himself a nice home, and, you know, he's about to win. You know, they're up, you know game away from the World Series. Maybe he get to the World Series for the second year in a row, Zach Wheeler. I'm still not going to, and I know you guys are going to be angry at me because I've talked about this a couple of times over the last five years. I'm not going to get crazy about the Mets not signing Wheeler because in the context of where they were under Wilpon ownership at that point was they looked at the next few years at what the budget was going to be and the explosion in the cost of pitching. And they were staring down the barrel where in a couple of years DeGrom very well could have opted out, and he did. And they more than likely were going to want to keep him because he was coming off a, a second Cy Young award at that point. Noah Syndergaard who was declining and would have Tommy John surgery less than like basically six months later was also coming up on free agency and they had to figure him out at some point and they knew that was coming up. Wheeler was a free agent and Mats was coming up on free agency and look, Mats was a pretty solid, you know, back in the rotation starter that at times could pitch like, uh, you know, for brief spurts, a th- Number two or number three, more like a number three. So you had all these pitchers coming up to free agency, and Matt's being a lefty. Sometimes lefties matured later. And they just looked at Wheeler, and if you go back to 2019, there's a lot of revisionist history. Wheeler was really good in September down the stretch, but for a large majority of 2019, and if you don't believe me, go to Baseball Reference. You can read it for yourself. Wheeler did not pitch well against the top teams in the sport. He didn't pitch well against the Nationals, the Braves, the Yankees, teams like that. Uh, he actually pitched pretty horribly in July as the Mets were trying to you know, turn things around before the trade deadline. Had ERA nearly six. His ERA that year was almost four. And, you know, he would have these really good outings. And he certainly had top-of-the-rotation stuff. And at any moment, Wheeler could give you a top-of-the-rotation performance. But he just wasn't consistent. And when you saw how poorly he pitched against the top teams in the league, it made it really easy to walk away from him. Not to mention the fact that he doesn't have the greatest mechanics. He already had uh, Tommy John surgery. The idea that he was going to stay healthy for a five-year deal was iffy. Been wrong on all fronts. Wheeler has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. And right now, he's better than anybody the Mets have in the rotation. And he's probably now has a better career trajectory for the next three to five years, then Jacob deGrom. We know what happened to Syndergaard falling off the cliff. We know that Matt's now is a guy that got a nice contract in St. Louis but can't hold down a spot in the rotation. So I think that, yes, the decision looks bad today in October of 2023, but I'm not sure it's the same no-brainer that everybody's making it out to be because you're forgetting where you were not only with the finances and the owners. Now, if Steve Cohen's the owner, they probably match Wheeler because they're saying, hey, this is a good contract. And yes, in a vacuum, it is a reasonable contract that if it didn't turn out and if Wheeler was nothing more or nothing better than he was in 2019, which is still a pretty good pitcher, probably a number three type pitcher, that's still a solid contract and well worth it. But the Mets weren't in that financial position. So they had to make decisions on those parameters and unfortunately, they decided that, you know, DeGrom's impending, you know, opt-out, Syndergaard's free agency, Matt's free agency took precedence. And they decided to bounce on Wheeler. And also, they probably didn't feel he was going to stay healthy. 
So they didn't want to, they couldn't be wrong. Under Wilpon ownership, you couldn't swallow too many contracts. What happened with Cano and what happened what they did with Verlander and Scherzer to get them out of here and swallow the money, that wasn't going to happen under Wilpon ownership. So that's number one. So that's, you know, that's a little bit of his, you know, good for Zach Wheeler, a little bit of revisionist history there. Look, he's pitching like Bob Gibson here in the postseason. You can't argue on that. Now, reports are out there that ESPN, you know, they're trying to unload, you know, Disney's trying to unload ESPN. Profits down 20%. Um, they can't, it sounds like they can't afford to re-up existing NBA and college football packages. Uh, and it's really interesting because with cord cutting becoming a thing, and I tied into, I saw this poll, uh, and this poll was a uh, Pew Research poll about sports and sports fans. And it was uh, tweeted out. Tweeted out. Here we go again with Twitter next by John uh, by uh, at John Gramlich. Uh, he's an associate director at the Pew Research Center in Washington D.C. So you know that's who this guy is. So basically, I'm not going to get too into the weeds here with this because it all ties together on the way out. And essentially, Pew did the research. 62% of Americans do not closely follow professional college sports. So six out of every 10 people that you encounter in your daily life don't know Zach Wheeler, don't know Buck Showalter, don't know Billy Epler, don't even know Pete Alonzo, and don't care at this point. There are 60% of the people, six out of 10, wouldn't even consider listening to this program. Bad for me, but understandable. So now 38% of the country or America, the country Americans are into sports. So a large minority are into sports. ESPN's profits are plunging. Cord cutting is a thing. And I'll be honest, and there is a point here I'm getting to. I'll be honest. If not for the Mets and the Knicks and sports, I would be out, O-U-T, out of my cable bill. I pay $345 a month. Now I have the top, you know, I get all like, you know, the HBOs and the Showtimes, I have that all in there, the on-demand, so, you know, my wife likes all that stuff. Uh, pay over $100 a month for internet, you know, a lot of work from home stuff here, this show, gotta have good broadband, have to pay for the upgrade. And I also keep as a, you know, not that you care, but I keep a phone line, which doesn't really cost that much, it's probably like 19 20 bucks a month. It's part of that 345 uh, you know, having home phone as a backup to the cell phone. But the big chunk of the bill about 125 130 bucks you know or so maybe more is the cable and sports and ESPN you know you tell these carrying fees for these RSNs like ESPN these sports stations are huge so as you see majority of Americans are not into sports if you're not a sports fan you start looking at your cable bill and you're like I know streaming can get expensive but you could easily get a Netflix or Hulu you know, maybe go in and out of HBO and Showtime, depending on when your favorite shows are around and whatnot. And, you know, stream your way to a better deal. I mean, I was even looking at FUBU TV, I think it is. Pretty good deal. You know, there's sports on there. I mean, that's more of a sports package. But there are packages that are far less that if you're okay with just streaming, and, you know, you get down to your very basic cable you know, at that point, if you want to get your, like, you know, News 12s or whatever, Channel 1 News, if you want to do some local stuff with just some basic cable, 
So when you start to look at that, you hear about ESPN and their profits plunging. You see the majority of people are not sports fans. I'm just talking sports fans. I'm not even talking about baseball. You could probably dive into that 38% and get into the baseball component. And then you see the, you know, the RSM bubble about to burst big time. And, it's, and I got to tell you, it's going to be directly related to revenues for these teams. And it makes you wonder, with all these guys coming up for big money contracts with these payrolls exploding, the Mets, one of them, luxury tax, we're clearly in softer economic times. I know that that's debatable, and I know you get all different kind of messages from the politicians and the financial markets. But, you know, you talk to an average American, you know, they're not just capriciously spending money. I'm sorry. And if your cable bill is like mine, you're starting to think about and saying, where can I reallocate those funds? Because, you know, everything's going up. You got to think that this thing's about to, you know, recession's about to hit sports. And is it going to hit baseball? And how's it going to affect free agency? How's it going to affect player contracts? Now, last winter, you saw the craziness. You saw what the Mets did with Verlander and how that Correa thing played out. And Aaron Judge getting a big contract. And there didn't seem to be any shortage you know look what the Padres have done but now the Padres have a debt issue so they may be backing down a little bit maybe they have to even trade Juan Soto so it'd really be interesting to see you know and I read and I saw the ESPN article over at Outkick I saw the Pew Research I thought about that and I'm like this is something for us to watch now you have a wealthy owner who's trying to build up his asset he's trying to build up his asset on the field he's trying to build up his asset around the field so he might be in a different space. So this might actually make it. Yeah, you know, he's the Wilpons basically put a sweetheart deal on the whole SNY rights because they own both sides. So I don't think he's he's overpaying for SNY at this point. Be interesting when that SNY contracts up would even stay with SNY. It'd be very interesting, but that's another story for another day. SNY is such a disappointing network when it really comes down to it. Um. So it's going to be interesting. It's just something I thought about. And it was a thought on the way out. Just one of these, you know, and usually these final segments are like that. Um, you know, it's something to look at. I think ESPN will kind of be the first shot at the bow, what Disney does with them. But if you read everything about ESPN, and there are other issues with ESPN, you know, maybe oversaturation, maybe some of their politics that they've tried to push down people's throat. Maybe just, you know, at some point the product becomes bad. You know, it could be that too. Uh, I personally don't watch ESPN anymore unless there's a game on. I used to watch Sports Center all the time. I don't even, I don't put ESPN on unless it's an NBA game, usually the Knicks, or the Mets are on ESPN. Or maybe I'll flick to the game of the week during the summer. But I don't really watch it. It's just not for me. I think it's it's targeting a different audience. I also think they target more of the casual sports fan. And that's the other thing, out of that 38%, of those, how many of those people are casual sports fans who, even if they like sports, they're not willing to pay for it and be engaged in it. And they're certainly not coming down to the ground your level like what I do here. So something interesting to think about. So uh, those are some things, Zach Wheeler, RSNs, bubble bursting, things that we'll be looking at, things that could impact the, the sport and the Mets in the near future. Now, final thing, big announcement. So I've been thinking long and hard of this. And there'll be more to come, and this will not really take full hold until after the World Series. So back at the beginning of the year, I was been thinking about this show, the growth of this show, and all the things that we do together. And I kept thinking back to 
my days when I ran NY Baseball Digest. And at that point, it was a website with the podcast and, you know, I was doing radio on 1240 AM WGBB. And, at, and, and radio and the genesis of who I am, it's always started with radio. It always started with what I love is, you know, I grew up listening to WFAN under the covers, listening to guys like Steve Summers and Jody McDonald and Mike and the Mad Dog and, you know, Sid Rosenberg and you know, Joe Benigno and all the guys and all the guys that legacy WFAN guys. And then I got into the writing part and the website did well, but it was, you know, fast and fleeting and the blogs and all that, they kind of were fading themselves out as you hit, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013. And now, I mean, who really, is there really blogs out there anymore? I mean, there's websites and such, but that's not what it is. You know, it's, it's really audio content now and video content. It's, you know, writing has kind of gone away. And I think that's unfortunate because I still enjoy good columns. I enjoy reading Joel Sherman, even though he drives me nuts, and John Heyman. And there's some really good stuff at The Athletic from time to time. And Mike Vaccaro does, and he's been on this show, has done nice stuff at The Post. Um, and even Tim Healy over at Newsday. You know, the written word and writing and columns, although it's not as prevalent as it used to be, and I also think some of the writing, especially now that analytics is so prevalent, some of the writing is too... It's not enough storytelling. It's not enough bridging the gap between, you know, there's certain writers, I guess I'm saying, that are trying to almost audition for front office roles. So they're not talking to the masses. They're not talking to even the hardest of, of hardcore baseball fans sometimes doesn't want to really get too inside baseball when it comes to the terminology. They don't want to be talked to like, uh, you know, they're an, you know, the, it's an Ivy League professor up there. So as I'm looking at the the gap in what we offer, I've decided, and I'm you're hearing it first here, I'm coming out with a newsletter. It's going to be Talking Mets Beyond the Mic, and it's going to be on Substack, and it's substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G. So you could go and subscribe now. Now, there's a catch here. There is going to be a fee for the newsletter. Now, there's going to be the free component, but it's going to be just basically podcast updates. And here's my commitment. The podcast and what you listen to here is always going to remain free. It's always going to be free. So you do the newsletter. There'll be video updates, you know, a few times a week. It's still developing. It's still an evolving um, concept. And it'll be $5 a month. And if you sign up for the year, it'll be $49.99. And I know that right now, everybody's, you know, here I am talking about inflation and people struggling with cable bills and everything. And I'm asking you to commit to 50 bucks for the year. And I understand if you can't. And if you can't, that's cool. You know, you know, that that's part of it. There's a few things we'll do here. There'll be instant analysis. You can do videos with instant analysis. You actually get to see my mug, you know, because you don't have to just wait till I get to the podcast. But the podcast will always be the same. You know, you like to have that instant analysis, but then things develop. And then when you get to the podcast, you could vet them out and work them out. You know, we like to do our own analysis, that back of the paper bag math, you know, historical conversation, looking back at Mets history so that we can learn going forward. These are all going to be well-researched. It's not just going to be stuff that's thrown out there. You know, it's going to be valuable. And look, you know, you could spend six or seven bucks on a cup of coffee. Why not spend it, you know, for, you know, that's one day. That's one cup of coffee. That's one latte. Spend it on talking that. So more to come. I don't want to give too much away. I just want to kind of let you know. Substack.com slash at talking You could subscribe now. You're really not going to get the real content until after the World Series, but if you want to do the free subscription now and then amp it up or do the, you know, jump right into the premium subscription now and, and you're going to start seeing content very soon within the next 
10 to 14 days. Um, so working it out. So it's talking Mets beyond the mic. I'm really excited to add this to the, to the repertoire, get a chance in between shows to interact with you. Uh, it's an evolving idea and, uh, we'll see where it goes. And look, if it doesn't work out, this is going nowhere. This will always be free. We'll always have this, the quality of what you get every Sunday and sometimes more, you know, and we'll still, you know, have more will not change. So this is the, this is the core. This is the hub. This is what I love to do. This other stuff is, is ways to add to it. And you ask, well, you know, how come the podcast can be free and, and this can't, well, podcast isn't free. The ads help pay for the infrastructure. And that's truly what this is about is paying for the infrastructure, paying for the upgrades, the technology, the cost, you know, servers and zoom accounts and everything. I mean, look, Believe me, I'm not going to Turks and Caicos on anything that's coming in here. It's just covering overhead. And and I'm glad that I could just do that because I'm not looking to all of a sudden grift my way to something. I want this to be about the content and about the community, about us experiencing the Mets together. So it's always been that way. So anyway, uh, big announcement, Substack got substack.com slash at talking Mets, no G. You got to put the at. That's where you could find it. It's up. There'll be more to come on that, and uh, away you go. So looking forward to that. Stay tuned. I'll put more on Twitter. We'll talk more about it on this show and what have you. So that's it. want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Not the most newsiest of news weeks, but right now it's not about the Mets. It's about the postseason. It's about the Rangers. It's about the Astros. It's about the Phillies. It's about the Diamondbacks. We sit back, see who the next champion will be, and then right back at it with the, with the offseason. Hiring a manager, maybe hiring a GM, and maybe bringing some new players into this. So anyway, you can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And of course, I want to thank the good folks at the fan side of the podcasting network for supporting this show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Peace.